Welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we work to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. Learn more at metronmanager.com. All right, welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin. And uh, today we have Matt Brown, who is an entrepreneurial, mission-minded guy. And we have the privilege of interviewing him today and hearing about his vision, what he's going to do in Africa, and what he's been doing. So, uh, Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks. Tell me a little bit uh, about, just so we set the stage here going forward in the discussion, give us a little synopsis of your mission, vision, or what you guys are aiming to do in Africa, and then we'll we'll talk uh, in and through and around that a little more. Yeah, so um, we, me and my wife, uh, we, we started this organization called Lilith in the Field years ago. God led us to Uganda specifically through a series of wild and um, unbelievable events. And uh, he led us there and showed us that we need to start helping people with water. Um, We're actually medically trained and we initially went thinking, okay, we're going to do some sort of medical mission work um, to bring tangible uh, help to people. Um, And uh, when we landed on on our first trip uh, about, I think it was six years ago, we just saw the need for water and uh, God really laid on our hearts to start pursuing how we could bring some sort of sustainable development over there. Um, and I mean, it's the foundation of all of this, of course. Um, it's, um, I mean, it all comes back to this idea that we, me and my wife, Jessica, both believe that we're supposed to um, not just, you know, uh, bless someone and, or, you know, talk about things, but, um, actually bring tangible change to people's lives. Um, like, let's see, I think it's like James 2. He, he talks about saying, you know, bless you, be warm and well-fed if you see someone who's naked or without clothing or hungry, and you go on your way and saying that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to actually do something if you don't supply food for them, if you don't basically give them water what's the point right so more of a holistic a holistic thinking about uh, mission and transformation in these countries exactly yeah Yeah. so that that's kind of the core of what led us to that okay and and remind us again of the name of the organization just for our listeners called lilies in the field lilies in the field that's great Uh and you have kids right how many kids yeah yeah i've got two kids uh kate is five almost six years old and Jude, uh, he's two years old. Oh, that's great. And uh, they'll be obviously going with you guys when you move to Africa. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you're currently working in the medical field, uh, and your wife is mm-hmm. as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, my, my wife's a PA. Um, she sees kids, and I'm a, I'm a nurse, um, RN, but I just, I'm super part-time now. I'm the I'm the stay-at-home dad. That's awesome. Washer, cleaner, all that stuff. <laughs> all those other holy occupations that yeah, we hold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. It's really great. Yeah. And, I, and I remember from previous conversations with you that you uh, grew up 
overseas, correct? Uh, was it a missionary uh-huh. family or tell us a little bit about yep. your background? Yeah. So I grew up in China in the Southeast, um, little island called Xiamen. Okay. Um, and, uh, uh, moved there when I was a baby with my family. I have one older brother and my parents felt called to China, um, to do mission work. Um, so they, I mean, they're still there. They've been there since I, I was there until I was 19. Okay. Uh, back to the States for college. Wow. Wow. And how did, how did that kind of a experience growing up, how did that like inform your perspective uh, f- as a missionary kid, essentially of uh-huh. missions? Cause I know I grew up on the mission field as well yeah. in Latin America. Yeah. And I had a very different perspective about missions uh, mm-hmm. and even the world in general, having kind of come back as a foreigner, even to my own country mm-hmm. and trying to find yeah. my footing as an American uh, going yeah. forward. Yeah. That's a big question. <laughs> it's uh you know, a lot of opinions and thoughts about it, um, you know, because my childhood experience is very different than someone who lives here. Not good, bad, better, worse, anything like sure. that. Just, just different. But I guess I, 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 coming back and seeing how people perceive the mission field hmm. and perceive missionaries from over here, not having actually been living it. I mean, lots of people visit, but they don't actually, it, you just can't explain it, you know, any more than I, you know, someone living in America that's grown up in America could fully explain what it's like to me because I didn't grow up in America. That's right. Um, and so uh, I guess the biggest thing that I've learned is that everyone's broken everywhere. <laughs> and, right. Um, the great part about that is God still uses broken people because um, the mission field is just just like the non-mission field, whatever you want, would want to call it. A domestic versus international mission field, everyone's broken. I mean, there's just heartache and the devils at work everywhere. But the beautiful hope there is that um, God can still use people, even if they're pushing back against him. Yeah, <laughs> that's even right. that happens on the mission field. Sometimes people go and they're actually pushing back on him. But, but he, if you're willing, he still can use you. And that's, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Amen to that. So, uh, that being said, how did you decide on a project in Africa? What, what kind of, what was the genesis of the vision there? And, uh, you know, why, why'd you choose the model that you're going after? Like what was the, the run up to this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I'll start with the first part, Africa specifically, uh, to be honest, I never wanted to go to Africa because it's hot. <laughs> yeah, and it's that's hot. Just the only image I have that, you know, uh, <laughs> But then, you know, God does that thing where he likes to send people where they think they shouldn't go. And, um, <laughs> so he, he just led me and Jess. Uh, he kind of shut some doors in China where I thought we would go for mission work. And South America, my wife is fluent in Spanish. So we thought, well, that's an option, too. Right. He shut doors in both directions and funneled us towards Uganda through a longer story. Um, and then, I mean, as soon as we got there, just really both of us fell in love with it and it, you might say um just really felt strongly called i guess would be the more honest way of saying it. wow just felt settled like this is definitely where the spirit wants us to be um there's a certainty in our souls about that we knew without a doubt that's what he wanted us to um, do um and as far as the, the water project um what we're trying yeah. to do is um, get a water service going to get people water delivered to their homes in remote areas. 
Okay. Most of the country is pretty remote. Right. Um, and you want it to be not just fully reliant on charitable donations because those can dry up. You know, uh, we want something sustainable. And the only way, honestly, to do something sustainable that costs money is to model it after a business. Um, right. You know, no one's just going to give money for free. So we're trying to basically start a water delivery business that essentially not for profit. We're not making anything off of it. We're just trying to charge people as little as possible. I mean, we're talking like 1.2 pennies per 20 liter can of water. Wow. Um, just as absolute margin based, uh, just really cutting down costs because people don't make any money. Uh, but we want to be able to pay people's salaries over there, of course, you know, cover the gas and everything. So ultimately we don't, you know, it, it's a community contained thing. Eventually our goal is to be able to hand it off to a director that's from the community that the service is in, you know, and so they're just building each other up. Um, that's kind of the vision we have for it. Um, and it's a delivery so, you know, model, right? Like you take the water yeah. to people in remote areas. Yep. Yeah. That's our, that's our, um, that's our big focus and big push because getting water period is hard for people, but, um, we did a bunch of surveys before we got started. And, um, one of the biggest issues actually is even just collecting water and transporting it. Uh, people spend on average six hours a day collecting water, usually women and children. And they usually carry about 200 pounds to 400 pounds a day for their family, um, upwards of two kilometers. Um, so they're spending most of the day and just killing themselves carrying this water, you know, um, yeah. largely because there's lines also, you know, there's only a few water sources. So everyone's lined up taking their turn. Right. So the delivery aspect of it eliminates that huge burden as well to free them up for, you know, other things. Well, it sounds like you've, you've come on a model that, uh, is market like a market-based solution in a, in also missional in a sense. And, yeah. uh, I, if I remember correctly, it also involves motorcycles. Is that correct for delivering the water? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, bush country, so not, no real roads. <laughs> so they, they drive motorcycles in the bush a lot. <laughs> wow. What an idea. And, yeah. and this whole model, uh, is actually able to not only be self-supporting, but actually, uh, uh, replicable, correct? Like you're looking at expanding yeah. this in the future. I mean, we would love to be able to franchise it at some point or in some way expand it. And, and the town we're starting out in is actually probably one of the hardest towns we could start out in. Um, there's other towns that are a little more booming, but we figure, well, God's called us to this particular town called Karuma um, okay. first. And if it works here, it'll definitely work in these other towns where they're more population dense and and do, do you find do you find that the there's a local workforce available that's actually really interested in this kind of uh, service uh, industry type of model or like is it hard to yeah. recruit people to work for the different sectors yeah. of a company like this? Right. So honestly, we we haven't gotten to the hiring phase yet. Um, beyond just contract labor, we have some um, contract laborers doing construction for us and you know getting things going. But um, as far as the workforce goes. There is tremendous unemployment over there. It's okay. 85% is the last number I've seen. Um, so there's no shortage of available workers. Um, of course, the hardest thing is finding someone trustworthy uh, mm. for managerial role. Um, because sure. That's just, you know, 
that's just hard to find. <laughs> yeah. You got to um, really live out that idea of you have to, you know, that leaders are, are nece- aren't necessarily found. They're created. <laughs> you got to create yeah, some leaders, develop yeah. some people. Yep. Uh-huh. So wow. that, that honestly, that's probably the biggest barrier to our success is having a strong leader, um, a Uganda side leader. And so we've, we've been praying pretty heavily about that. Wow. That's exciting. Why, what really, um, I mean, you, you've talked about a few practicals, uh, of why I would say the marketplace approach, but you know, really, you know, what's the value or your sense behind a marketplace approach to, to this project, but also to just mission in general. I mean, is there some thinking that developed in you over, over time or how did you arrive at this? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I guess there were some models I saw growing up, um, in China, some of the missionaries I knew, they, they weren't directly involved in this kind of mission work, but there was a couple others that were. One in particular, his name was Bill Job. He actually started a stained glass factory in 1987 wow. in China. Um, and, I mean, exporting stained glass goods to the U.S. was his thing. And he's got a big factory going, hundreds of workers, um, you know, huge sales over the years as he grew and grew, um, built it from the ground up. But he he ran a business, but he integrated the spirit, I don't know how else to describe it, into the workplace right. more than I've seen anyone ever do that. Um, and I mean, this is a guy who just breathes the Holy Spirit when he walks. Amazing. Um, you can just feel the presence of God around him. And he actually was God used him to bring me to salvation when I was 15. Um, and so he's been a huge part of my life, but I just, I guess that that probably was where the germ was planted was seeing that happen and how well it could be done. Um, just in his own work. I mean, he would have all night prayer vigils with people. And I mean, mo- many of his workers, many of the hundreds of workers came to Christ, um, you know, well, wow, it's fantastic. Had a holistic approach to work and um, in the kingdom, you know. Wow, what a good example! What a role model of yeah. uh, of a marketplace approach. And look at the fruit it's bearing now, even as you move out into different endeavors or kingdom enterprises. It's got quite a yeah. ripple effect, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, being you know that you're fairly familiar with theology of work ideas and and missions, some that I emphasize in my books and my work. Um, how do you think it would affect believers in your, in your location where you're working if mm-hmm. they were discipled uh, with a theology of work understanding from scripture? Do you see, uh, do you have an idea just looking at what you know there, what might be different or what could be different with this kind of thinking yeah. involved? Yeah. Um, good question. Um, you know, I feel like this might be in a lot of cultures too, but um, in Uganda, there's a lot of, in as far as Christianity goes, and there's on paper a lot of Christianity in Uganda. Right. But a lot of it is founded in some offshoots of prosperity gospel. Not okay. all of it, but quite a bit of it. Um, so you see a lot of, you see a lot of people burned by that. Um, they see religious professionals not working <laughs> interesting size money to be rich and live well. And the, the people who work hard are kind of looked down upon, you know? Um, and uh, so I think redeeming the vision of work as no, this work is good, you know, right. Stop this falsehood that if you, if you are a good Christian, you shouldn't have to work. 
I mean, that's kind of, I think, part of this big picture of the prosperity gospel in Uganda is if you work hard, you can get above being just a lowly working class person and, you know, live a nice life without doing anything hard. Um, so redeeming work is like, no, this is, this is how we rebuild. This is how we bring God's kingdom to earth together. We work together, you know, and we work alongside the spirit. Oh, that's in fantastic. The light. We can just have this fulfilling experience as we work. Um, also finding our identity, you know, in him and not finding our identity in culture, but that's a separate issue. Wow. So it almost seems like, you know, part of your enterprise in this is you're coming up uh, into almost a cultural uh, mandate area of, for discipling nations where you're, whether it's a primary intention or not, you'll be uh, faced with the opportunity to change people's thinking about the nature of work and to really introduce, uh, like what I always uh, mention in my in my book and my podcast and stuff about recovering the dignity and the mission of vocation, mm-hmm. really redeeming yeah. the nature Amen. of work. And obviously not just in Africa, but many countries, you know, work is looked down on and whether or not mm-hmm. they would call it a result of sin or the fall, they would probably feel that way. And yeah. rather than really seeing it as part of God's design and what they're designed to do and how they're designed to partner with God and each other for redemptive purposes on the planet. So that's really exciting that you're able to, uh, uh, go into this with that kind of uh, perspective and really help people not avoid work mm-hmm. and not try to work to avoid work, but to really yeah, dive in and yeah. embrace it as God's model and really see the blessing, the mm-hmm. prosperity, that true prosperity and true reward mm-hmm. and true dignity that comes out of that. That's exciting to me to see that. Yeah. Yes. We're man, and being able to go in and, and bring this from the top down, you know, um, be the ones in charge of bringing the message and saying, look, you're going to come work for us and we're going to, we're going to redeem work in our workplace. You know, just kind of, kind of sounds strange to say, but having a full control of our workplace is exciting to me to be able to say, we're, we're the ones hiring everyone. Yeah. We're not looking up. We're, we're walking alongside of people and we can show them what it's like to be good leaders too and to be healthy and, um, healthy community in a workplace you know what that looks like and we just have so much opportunity to have a i mean the most kingdom-minded workplace you know you can imagine which of course is a huge responsibility we need a lot of prayer and support absolutely exciting the possibilities you know what a great opportunity though to model a different way of being human a different way of living and a different understanding of faith and christianity this is the kind of uh, experience you know, if employees get a chance to work in, uh, not only I think you create loyal employees and trustworthy employees, but uh, it's attractional. Even if they're not Christians, they're attracted to mm-hmm. that kind of environment because who doesn't want to live in that kind of environment? Who doesn't want to work in a yeah. company like that? Um, mm-hmm. Everybody's built for heaven. That's what we're all the inner yeah, longing for exactly. and to uh, get to live and work and um, do society in that kind of context and culture. Uh, what an alternative. You're, I see it as like you're creating like an appetite for righteousness in a country through a work environment. It's like an outpost mm-hmm. for the kingdom. That's a pretty yeah. exciting enterprise in my mind. So you're mm-hmm. so as yeah. I see it, you're really uh, aiming for seeing more than just souls saved, but more of a holistic transformation, a really uh, holistic engagement with the culture, the needs of the situation, the moment in time, really 
you're trying mm-hmm. to bring people along, not just meet a, a felt need or a tangible need, but kind of a coming at it with a bigger approach. Would that be true? Yeah, 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 definitely. Because I mean, you know, um, our souls say that that's absolutely what the the point is. But the souls saved kind of harkens to this eternal. Uh, mindset that we think about when we think about souls being saved. But I think what we forget a lot of times is that, well, eternity is now and it's here. We That's are right. already in eternity and we are building God's kingdom now, not, not later, you know, not after our, our hearts stop or anything, but yeah, it starts now. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> We're new creatures yeah. in Christ Jesus now. <laughs> we are already. Yeah. <laughs> and we want that for other people. That's right. That's the good yeah. news of the gospel right there. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so as the Metron manager project founder, you know, my heart is really to missionize believers in their vocation and uh, help folks live on mission in what I would call metrons or spheres of responsibility. And do you have any input for our audience that would speak to this aim or this type of approach? You know, is it possible? Um, you know, what does it mean even to you to live on mission or practically as you're, you know, you guys have done a good job of kind of gearing your life around your life, your lifestyle, your values, your choices, you know, how you spend your time towards really an on mission purpose and a mindset, no matter what you're doing. So, you know, what's some advice you would give uh, somebody else, say they're a young up and coming uh, uh, entrepreneurial, you know, kingdom minded person who'd like to do something in the marketplace, but do it missionally, really make a difference where Mm -hmm. they're at. You know, what would you say to somebody like that? Man, well, that's a that's a big, yeah, that's a big, um, that's a big question, but such a good question too. Um, you know, the thing that I come back to a lot when I talk to a lot of my friends um, when we talk about trying to figure out what to do with our lives, what to do with our jobs, you know, just are all the all the decisions in life, you know, what house to get, what right buy, what, what do I do with my money or the things God has given me to steward. I always come back to, are you listening to God to hear what he wants you to do in your unique situation with your unique gifts that he's given you, not anyone else? You know, that because every individual has such a unique story and such a unique set of talents that no other person really knows fully. And even that individual probably doesn't know fully what God's given them. Um, but if you ask God, he can show you what to do with those talents. And, you know, um, I was just reading John and Jesus. I, I, I love how he says um, that I'm trying to think of how he phrased it. My sheep hear my voice. You, do you know the, the verses? You're probably much more fortunate <laughs> than me. The sheep know my voice. And they hear me. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the point that I get from that is um, we're supposed to be able to hear his voice. Right. We're supposed to listen to him. And I, that, that gets missed so much, you know. And I think if we can listen to him and practice hearing his voice, then he can tell us what to do in our unique circumstance, how we can bring the kingdom into our work, whether it's something that seems kind of dramatic, like, starting a new business or starting some entrepreneurship um, or whether it's just something that the world would look at. It's kind of dull, like you know, whatever, whatever job that would be. I mean, me, I'm a nurse, 
You know, I right. work a 12 hour shift. That's not very glorifying. <laughs> but when I go to work, I, I ask the spirit to help me bring his kingdom into my job. And man, I've seen so many, I just got to share in so many great experiences with my patients where I've come away from it and just thought, Oh my goodness, the spirit just actually used me in this conversation and uplifting these patients who are really suffering. And I mean, I've had so many encouraging words from patients who have just said, there's something different about you. And I've been like, no, it's not me. <laughs> it's not <laughs> me. It's different. It's the spirit, you know, and, and just seeing that transformation that can happen just through inviting the spirit. To, it sounds to like, me. it sounds like you've, uh, uh, learned that principle of you play like you practice and you guys are getting ready to play a pretty uh, intense role in uh, in Africa with your project. And, it's, and it sounds to me like you're practicing the way you'd like to actually play when you hit the ground there. So you're not yeah, separating, absolutely. oh, I've got this secular gig until I go off to do yep. something spiritual or, you know, exactly. oh, I can, you know, yeah. do whatever here or just hold down a side job and then I'll get mm-hmm. to go be a missionary or whatever, you know, on yep. the, at some point. Yep. It sounds uh-huh. to me like you're, you're really trying to live it out in the given context you're in right now so that no matter where it, how it lands or works out when you're overseas, you'll be the same mm-hmm. person there doing what you're doing here just in a different environment. I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think that's yeah. one of the weaknesses I've seen a lot is that people don't pl- uh, practice like they want to play and they, Amen. you know, they yeah. think they can skate or just take things, um, easy or secularize their current existence or Mm -hmm. downplay the importance of it and, you know, not really lean into the Lord and the Metron they're in uh, at this time. And then they expect something to be different when they get into a different context. Then they find out, well, it's actually just me again in the different context. Uh And I do things the same way. I bring the same baggage along, you know, it's, it's all, it's all the same. So I'm encouraged actually to, to observe and hear how you guys have uh, constrained your life in a way that uh, that helps you move towards being just as successful in a new unknown location with new stuff at hand as you've been in, in the current context or Metron that God's given you here. Uh, amen. Well, we're, we're grateful to be a part of it. I mean, um, we feel honored and um, just glad that we can walk with God wherever we are. You know, it doesn't matter the geography we're in. We can be with him. Yeah, whether we're alone or far away or with family and friends here and whatever people are around. We're just, man, being able to live and walk with the spirit. It's just one of the most abundant blessings of Christianity that I know of. Yeah. And I hear in what you're sharing, I hear someone who's on mission and someone who's authentic and that's really commendable. And I think that's what it takes no matter where you're at to succeed. I, in this podcast series Mm -hmm. and in my training, I refer to it as becoming a successful Metron manager. What are the pieces or components Mm -hmm. that need to be in people's lives to really make them successful regardless of the context. And I see and hear that in your guys's lives. So it's been really great to be able to have you share from your experience and perspective on the podcast. Uh, can you give people, um, a date for when you're aiming to head over just so they know what your plan is? We're, um, we're leaving in March, end of, end of March this next year. Fantastic. Um, Got our tickets booked. So yeah, you're not, man. That's great. And what's your uh, contact information? Do you have a website that people can visit to learn more about uh, your work? Yeah. I mean, www.liliesinthefield.org. Um, so that's the website. And, um, I mean, we can be reached through there. There's a 
you know, messaging area on the website or um, info at liliesinthefield.org is the official email for the organization. So, yeah, any of those ways we we love talking to people about what we're doing, what God's having us doing. That's exciting. Well, thanks again for being on the program and sharing from your heart on this. And uh, I hopefully, hopefully, I believe this will give people some good insight and some good inspiration and encourage young people as well who've got a vision and an idea that it is possible mm-hmm. to get from point A to point B in this journey, <laughs> even though there's Man. a lot of challenges these days and some difficulties. Yeah. So God well, bless you and your work. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll look forward to hearing how it goes in the not too distant future. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.